So Web 1 was when the web was first created and allowed you to consume content. Web 2 was when you could actually contribute content to the web. Now, Web 3 is a further evolution of that. Just start here. All right, so 2023, what do you think of crypto? What is this crypto thing? How do you explain it? What is crypto now? GM Noob, and welcome to our show where a beginner is at the center of each episode. Web3, NFTs, crypto, Bitcoin, board apes, they're all becoming mainstream lingo. But what do they mean? And more importantly, why should you care? In GM Noob, we unpack Web3 and highlight use cases to get you started on your noob journey. Let's dig in. Welcome to today's episode where our guest expert is Vritti Saraf, founder of K20 Educators which is building the Eduverse on Web3, a space for educators to connect, collaborate, learn, and earn. K20 has been recognized as the world's top 200 most innovative edtech companies by Global Silicon Valley. Vritti is also the co-founder of Ed3DAO, a Web3 digital co-op for educators by educators, aiming to catalyze innovation at scale. Also joining us today is our star noob, Laura, Laura, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about the project you're working on right now? Yeah. So basically what we're doing is we're creating a student-designed, youth-designed, school-based youth mental health initiative. And so what we did in the fall was we, uh, I'm working with a group of students from a school called One Stone out of Boise, Idaho, and they're actually student-led, student-governed. So they have two-thirds students on their board, um, which is incredible. And so um, have the pleasure of working with those students and they've helped facilitate a series of conversations with other students at a few schools um, throughout Canada and the US. And the conversations were really empathy-based. They were focusing on vulnerability and sharing, you know, what's working? What do we, what do we like about the supports we have for mental health? What's not working? Um, what are the needs that we actually have um, that aren't maybe even available? And so... Um, we had those conversations in the fall and the, a big layer of this process is the design thinking methodology. So really having the end users involved in the entire process. And it's a continuous iteration because of the there's so many voices to bring into it and we're always learning. And so where we're at now from those conversations is we have a bit of a, an initial prototype of what an initiative could look like or something to share out. And where we're going next is we're going to use that as more of a starting place to, to get feedback on and get participant engagement in on, you know, what are your thoughts on this? What does this look like to you? How could this work for you and your school? Why wouldn't it work for you and your school? Um, what are some things that we've missed? What are some barriers to what we're suggesting here? It really is just an opportunity to get students involved in their mental health and advocate for that and have a tangible outcome from that as well that they can then use within their schools. And one thing that came out of that process was it's not so much like a prescribed experience or a prescribed, this is this is your toolkit and this is what you need to do. It's more of an offering of mental health is a concern or an issue and we want to be able to integrate this into our schools. So here's kind of a map that you can apply or a process that you can engage your peers in to be able to make it relevant and meaningful for your school. 
And so that's where we're at. What I'm hoping to get out of it is a whole lot of learning and a whole lot of students just realizing and feeling for themselves that their voice does matter. Their needs are really important and they have the ability to help themselves and other people on the journey of their mental health. This is really great, Laura. Thanks so much for sharing that. The reason I invited Vridi on this podcast is because I think that hopefully that she can share in the last year or two of her journey into Web3, some of the areas where I think that Web3 can actually really help to accelerate your project. And hopefully you see some areas where you can learn more and we can all learn sort of about Web3 together. So with that, Vridi, I'm going to ask you, how would you describe or define Web3 to a complete noob, someone who knows nothing about Web3? Yeah, I'm happy to do that, but I want to actually do something else first, which is describe what a DAO is. And actually, I don't need to because Laura just did. (laughs) A DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. It's part of the Web3 ecosystem. And a DAO is basically a democratized organization. And it allows the people that are part of it, whether it's the stakeholders that are the users in it, or it's the admin or whomever, to be able to own a piece of it while also being able to vote on the most important decisions so that all of it is uh, in uh, the benefit of the people that are actually using it and they have the power to be able to influence it. So I think it's really funny that you describe this beautiful model that you're working on with OneStone and you know a DAO happens to be that and happens to be what we're doing at Web3DAO too. So happy to describe what Web3 is. So Web3 is the evolution of the web. And so uh, when you think about the World Wide Web, right, that is the way that we browse information on the internet. So the first version of the web was when Tim Berners-Lee invented it in 1989. And that was when we had static websites. So you could sort of consume content, but you couldn't contribute to it, right? Because you weren't, most people weren't coders, there weren't um, websites like Wix and Squarespace and blogging websites available. So people could just consume what was on the web. Then Web 2.0 came along when social media came along. So social media uh, basically allowed the masses to contribute to the web. They were able to post messages, message each other, create blogs, websites that allowed you to create your own website came onto play. So there were a lot of ways that people could now contribute. So Web 1 was when the web was first created and allowed you to consume content. Web 2 was when you could actually contribute content to the web. Now, Web3 is a further evolution of that. The thing that catalyzes Web3, the reason we're saying Web3 is happening now versus any other time, is because of uh, the invention of something called blockchain. And blockchain uh, basically allows you to store data in a way that does not belong to a centralized entity. So today, let's say, for example, if I wanted to store a Google Doc uh, or a doc in Google, Google really owns my data, right? Um, Right now, if I sign into Facebook, Facebook owns my data. A lot of these free apps that are out there, they're not really free because they're using my data to advertise to me, to market to me, to sell it to other people, all that kind of stuff. The thing that uh, blockchain enables us to do is there's no centralized server where the data is stored when you use blockchain. It's actually distributed among many people around the world who are verifying your information based on a math equation. So basically, when you, for example, want to transact, when when you want to buy something on a credit card, um, Amex or Chase or whatever bank account you use will do that transaction for you. 
But with blockchain, if you transact, the verifier actually is some random person across the world that is not random verifying your personal information. They have no idea who you are. They have no idea what it is that you're sort of transacting on. They're just verifying that you're using blockchain to do it. And that allows you to hold your data on a blockchain that's public. And it doesn't expose your information if you don't want it to. But um, it basically allows you to sort of store that data. So basically, the the evolution of Web3 has come about because we've discovered, in simplest terms, a way to decentralize the storage of data. Beautiful. Oh, sorry, go on. (laughs) No, just that um, that decentralized storage of data allows us to do everything we can do um, on the web that we have been in Web2. But now we get to own our own data. And our data doesn't belong to some monopoly. It belongs to us. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, thank you for explaining it like that. And when I think about what you're sharing is like, I think of iCloud. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a great way to think about it. The only difference is that iCloud is owned by a company, whereas yeah. Apple, right? Um, whereas the iCloud version of blockchain is owned by no one. Okay. And so how is it that we can then control or manage our own information through blockchain? So it depends on the middle party that you're using. So uh, blockchain is basically this uh, mechanism that allows you to verify and store data. And so there are middlemen that will allow you to transact. So there's, you know, if you think about the most common one, Coinbase, or if you think about wallets like MetaMask, like there are all of these sort of like uh, apps and app providers that will actually allow you to transact with the blockchain. Now, the cool thing about that is even though you are engaging with a middleman who is a company and who does, um, you know, has a central entity, they don't own your data because the data is stored on blockchain and they, they're simply helping you transact on blockchain. They're not actually storing your data for you. Okay. So is it something like there's a, a vendor, a blockchain vendor that we would then need to like research and figure out which blockchain vendor is the one that works the best yeah, for us? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are a lot of different blockchains out there. Um, and the very first blockchain was the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, the Bitcoin blockchain was created by someone called Satoshi Nakamoto. Nobody knows who that is. Nobody knows if it's a real person. But um, they uh, basically created this sort of like decentralized way of uh, engaging with, with that particular blockchain. But there are a lot of other blockchains that have emerged since then. And we know the founders of those blockchains. But the way that they've created those blockchains is even though they've created the technology for them, they aren't owning the data that's on the blockchain. It's sort of like putting something out in the world and then letting it go free. One way that I like to visualize it, Laura, is that think of the blockchain as public utility, like water, right? Like let's think of the Ethereum protocol as water. And so you can go, you know, down to the lake and get a cup of water, but that's not really practical for using water in your house. So you'll use a utility company that'll sort of facilitate how the water travels to you, uh, gets used in different parts of your day-to-day life. But the water is still sort of a public, free sort of utility, although blockchains aren't free necessarily, but you can think of it that way. So even though there are these sort of intermediaries, there's no person storing all of the Earth's water saying that you can't have access to it. And so that might be a visualization to help to understand how blockchain is this sort of free and open utility. But at the same time, we do use intermediaries to facilitate transactions. It's time for a new interlude. 
MetaMask is a term we hear a lot, but what is it and how does it work? MetaMask is a browser extension and mobile app that serves as a digital wallet for the Ethereum blockchain. It allows users to interact with Ethereum-based applications and manage their cryptocurrency holdings directly from their browser or mobile device. When a user installs MetaMask, they create a digital wallet that stores their private keys and public addresses for Ethereum and other Ethereum-based tokens. MetaMask then injects a Web3 provider into the user's browser, allowing them to interact with Ethereum-based dApps without having to run a full Ethereum node. To use MetaMask, a user simply clicks on the extension icon in their browser or opens the mobile app, enters their password, and can then manage their cryptocurrency holdings, send and receive funds, and interact with Ethereum-based dApps. Overall, MetaMask provides a user-friendly and accessible way for people to engage with the Ethereum blockchain and its ecosystem of decentralized applications. Learning about Web3 and crypto can be confusing and overwhelming. The problem is that entering into the world of Web3 feels foreign, and it seems like there's a new scam every day. That's why GM Noob is offering an exclusive course for beginners. What's unique about this course is that each block of learners will leverage their peers to create a chain of knowledge and trust that extends beyond static learning modules. With each new topic, you will learn together and benefit from your collective efforts. No deposit, no return. Blocks of learners are limited to 24 participants. So register today for season one, block one, at linktr.ee slash gmnoob, or have a look in the show notes for more info. I think from there, maybe if we can pivot to your specific project, Vridi, and talk about DAOs, because I think that if you talk about your DAO and you know how that's evolved and sort of what you've benefited from it, then I think that could give Laura maybe some ideas on how a DAO structure might be beneficial to her project. Sure. Yeah. And just to build on what you were saying, you know, different blockchains serve different purposes. So, um, Laura, when you said, well, which one do I choose? Well, you have to really decide what the purpose of it is. There are some blockchains that offer really good returns on your investment. There are some blockchains that offer really good ability to build video games on top of it. There are some blockchains that allow you to communicate on top of it. So all these blockchains basically are, are different ways to sort of um, store data and verify data, but um, the utility of each blockchain actually is pretty different. So we last year founded something called Ed3DAO. Ed3 is the way that Web3 is the evolution of the web. Ed3 is the evolution of education. And um, a DAO, as I said earlier, is a decentralized autonomous organization. What that means is that it is democratized. It does not belong to anyone. It belongs to everybody that's a part of it. And we use blockchain to actually govern the entire DAO. So for example, if we wanted to hold a vote in the DAO, generally in a democratized organization like a co-op, for example, if you hold a vote, then there's still an intermediary who decides whether that vote is valid or not. And then that's how the vote goes through. So there, there, there's possibility for corruption. Also, if there is like a, um, a treasury in a co-op, the treasury is controlled by a particular, you know, team of people and it's not public. So the users or the members may never know how much is in that treasury or where that money is exactly going. 
with a DAO, because everything that we do ultimately lives on blockchain, we're still working on which blockchain, so we're not quite there yet, but ultimately it should live on blockchain. Whenever somebody votes on something, then that vote gets automatically verified and counted on the blockchain. And the decision gets automatically executed based on the parameters of that vote. So there's no intermediary controlling whether the vote is valid or not, because it just goes through automatically. And then we also put all of our funds onto blockchain, meaning that everyone can see where the funds are going. So we just received a, a grant from ApeDAO, and those funds went into our crypto wallet. And that crypto wallet is public, meaning that no one can do anything with it, but they can see what's in there, what comes out, what goes in, who it goes to, when it goes to them, all of that. And that basically creates a environment of what we call trustlessness, where you don't need to trust a human because you can see the evidence. Uh, there's a phrase in the Web3 world where they, they say, uh, you know, with blockchain, it's not that you hope that people don't do evil. It's that they can't do evil because it's hard to be a corrupt system in a transparent sort of mechanism. When I hear you say that, I think about like the whole nonprofit world too. And it's like a revolutionization of that, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're a nonprofit and uh, we basically use the DAO model to make our nonprofit transparent. And uh, we also, you know, we're a community of educators and we want to empower educators. So the next step to that, aside from sort of like having your treasury on blockchain and having your voting system on blockchain, is also having tokens. So even though we're a nonprofit, we plan on creating a token that will allow people to have ownership in the DAO. And that ownership will allow them to use um, the tokens to exchange services, allow them to reward each other. And that token model allows us to have an even deeper democratized organization. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about sort of your evolution as a DAO, you know, from the beginning and how you even started to get people involved in the project. And then, you know, once these layers of complexity started to come together, how did you make it so that you could start to layer out the different um, responsibilities? Because I imagine that it would be really hard in the beginning to have everything decentralized and everything be completely democratic in the beginning. But I think it's more of an evolution from having more of a leader kind of involved and having the transparency of the blockchain, but eventually moving more to a decentralized format where maybe in the beginning, that's not the most practical. Yeah, I, I think um, Laura can probably speak to this uh, from her experience at OneStone too, but there's no organization out there that is truly de decentralized at this point. There's always, um, you know, somebody who's sort of on an admin team or some sort of operator team and things like that. And so we think that we're about 10 years away from having the right technology and the right human mindsets to actually have a fully decentralized organization. So the way that we are moving our organization is we're focusing on something called a holacracy. And a holacracy is basically um, an operating model that allows you to have an operating team 
that is represented by the nodes that are almost like departments that are doing work in that organization. So, um, and the operating team along with the nodes actually have decision making power and there's not one person who can have, you know, complete decision making power. So we think that a holacracy model is also pretty difficult to create. And so we're taking our time in sort of setting the infrastructure for that. Um, in terms of the origin of the DAO, um, Actually, this whole project started off with my other company, K20 Educators, in 2021. I actually was creating a community of educators. I um, was determined to bring educators together from all over the world and share best practices. Because while I was traveling around the world building schools, I found that there were all these brilliant educators, but they weren't sharing best practices with each other. And they were reinventing the wheel over and over again. And so that took them way more time to develop the content that somebody across the nation or another sort of country was doing the exact same thing for. And they made a lot more mistakes than they could have if somebody just sort of like shared their own resources with them. And so we started off with this global community and we had a ton of events in metaverse spaces and we shared best practices, things like that. And then I learned about DAOs. I was already in the Web3 space. I've been in crypto for about 10 years. But the concept of DAOs was fairly new to me. Um, it came to me in 2021. And the thing that I learned about DAOs was DAOs allow a community to have ownership of that community and to be empowered by that community. And that's great on two levels. One, of course, you would want a community to be the sort of owner of that community and benefit from, from that community. So if the community is generating revenue, then the community members will also generate revenue. But on top of that, the more ownership a community has, the more incentivized the community is to grow it, right? So it sort of like works as a virtuous cycle. It's like the more, the happier that the community members are, the more incentivized they are, the bigger the community grows and this like beautiful virtuous cycle. And so I basically took all of my IP that I had generated with K20, the entire community that we had created. Um, we had about 100K followers across social media and we had a big mailing list and we had, you know, a ton of events. And we basically ported all of that over into a nonprofit DAO because it just didn't make sense to me to build a for-profit company that I would be the only person benefiting or my investors would be benefiting and the teachers who are actually contributing to content wouldn't be. And to be honest, that's how most education organizations operate today, right? If you think about education communities, it's like there are nonprofits and for-profits that are structured in a way where if they are making a ton of money from the educator community that they've created, the educator community never sees a cent of it, right? And so with our DAO, because we have a token system that represents our treasury, the people that are members of the DAO actually own a piece of the company, even though it's a nonprofit. So, so that's sort of how we're thinking about the DAO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. When I hear what you're sharing, Brittany, is when I think of like a really level system where there's no hierarchy, I'm curious about efficiency and leadership and those pillars we're used to either reaching for or having integrated into systems in order to keep them functioning from like inception through mission to vision, right? Like how do you navigate that in a really efficient way? And then I'm also curious about, I like hearing about the transparency of the money and the funding piece of it. And how do people remain sort of level set and amicable to that in the process as they contribute their unique skills and their unique impact on the organization? 
Yeah, those are great questions. So the first question about maintaining the quality of the organization and decision making without having sort of like a, a leading entity. So with a holacracy, there are operators that are representing the rest of the organization. But those operators are sort of beholden to what's happening in the rest of the organization. So those operators are almost like representatives of what's happening. But and in any decision that's made is sort of like happening on that team. At the same time, each of the nodes, we call nodes like departments or however you want to see them, each of the nodes are responsible for a function of the organization. So for example, or a project. So for example, if we have a marketing node, all of the decisions that need to be made about marketing are made in that node. And all of the members of that node make those decisions. Now, of course, they have to collaborate with other departments and other nodes, but the funding and the major decisions for marketing are made in that node. Now, let's say there's a project. For example, we started a podcasting project a few months ago. And so let's say we have a project where there is somebody who's leading a podcasting initiative and they need funding and they they need a team and whatnot. So basically, the entire organization gets together and they decide, well, the proposal that this podcasting node wants, is it aligned with the mission of the organization? Is it aligned with the KPIs of the organization? Is it aligned with the outcomes of the organization? And that sort of structure where the people that are voting are still voting against some sort of infrastructure or like outcomes that has been already set forth for the organization allows you to stay on track. Right. It's not sort of like a willy nilly voting. Like I feel like saying this yes today and, and no tomorrow. It's very sort of like outcomes oriented and it's very much mission oriented. And that mission and the vision was developed again by the organization last year. And so as long as we're sort of like sticking to the, and we want to reiterate that, of course, every year, but as long as we're sticking to the initial outcomes and the vision and the mission, then those decisions become a lot easier to make. And we also are not voting on everything, right? Like there are some decisions that the marketing node, for example, are going to be able to make because it's their purview. So it's a sort of a hybrid between the completely decentralized way and the completely centralized way, which is why we believe a holacracy model is the future of DAOs for now. Um, whereas, you know, hopefully in the far future, we'll be able to create something that's even more decentralized. And now it's time for a noob history lesson. The ICO or initial coin offering boom of 2017 saw the launch of many projects that raised large sums of money. ICOs were a fundraising method used by blockchain and cryptocurrency projects in the early days of Web3. In an ICO, a project would issue and sell digital tokens to investors in exchange for cryptocurrency or fiat currency like USD. ICOs were important in Web3 history because they enabled blockchain projects to raise funds quickly and easily, without having to go through the traditional venture capital process. This allowed for rapid growth of new blockchain projects, many of which went on to become important players in the ecosystem. ICOs were also important because they introduced the concept of digital tokens, which could represent anything from utility within a particular platform to ownership in a specific asset or company. However, ICOs were also associated with scams and fraudulent projects, and many investors lost a ton of money. 
Some of the top ICOs of that year include Filecoin, a decentralized cloud storage network that raised over $257 million, and EOS, a blockchain platform designed for decentralized applications, which raised over $185 million, dubbed the Ethereum Killer. Where are you now, EOS? It is worth noting that while many of these projects raise significant amounts of funding, looking at you, EOS, some have faced challenges in delivering on their promises or generating real-world adoption. That's awesome. Thank you. And then coming back to Steve's question around how I can see this like working with what we're creating is really around, I think, the values alignment of engagement and the democracy of it, the holacracy that you're talking about. I still feel like I need a lot of education around all the nuances and the and the words and, and how it works. But it's also really interesting because I think working with young people, this is this is more their and I'm I can't consider myself young anymore, but this is like more their language. And it's a world that I think there's so many possibilities in in adopting it into an initiative where young people are leading it. And I mean, where I go with this next is like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to talk to the people, talk to the students that I'm working with and and see what they think. And then it's up to them on how they want to integrate it or if they want to integrate it into what we're doing and then talking through their questions and ideas and so on. But it, it is really the values piece of, it's about them. It's not about, one person or an issue or anything. It's about their experience in this world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's important to note that no system is perfect and no new innovation has been fully realized. And so the concept of a DAO, you know, and and the concept of like decentralizing and, and democratizing these systems, we haven't as, you know, humans done it perfectly right yet. There are very, very few examples of truly democratized institutions or, or organizations or movements. The thing that I love about Web3 and the thing that I love about DAOs is we are figuring all this out as we go. And everybody is um, has a ton of grace and a ton of um, forgiveness toward it. And so as we figure it out together and as we sort of like shape these values together and shape these systems together, we're making a lot of mistakes so that we can learn from them, right? And as, and when we learn from them, we're able to make all of these sort of systems stronger. And so, you know, as a caveat here, like nothing that we're doing is perfect, right? Nothing that anybody's doing in Web3 is perfect. And it's all an exploratory and experimental sort of like way to do it. And I think the best part is that we're open to it. Right. I think there has been a long time for a hundred years, especially in education, where we haven't tried really anything new and we haven't tried to democratize education. We haven't tried to decentralize it. But because of this conversation with Web3 and blockchain emerging, all of a sudden there are all of these new people that are saying, what if? And they're actually trying to do something about it. And so I think that's the beauty of it, which is we're just shifting the conversation and it's sort of happening super rapidly because Web3 is taking shape. Yeah. And I think the problems or the challenges of our time are unanswerable until we start exploring new ideas. And so I think that is a great way to learn more about how we can move forward together. 
Yeah, one really cool way that I've heard Web3 referred to is it's a human coordination tool. So I've heard blockchain and Web3 um, referred to as a human coordination invention. And so it allows us to coordinate with people um, on the other side of the world um, and not just communicate, but coordinate because there's a value entrenched in it, right? So in before blockchain, we had no way of really transferring value. And value could be financial value or it could be data or it could be some other forms of value, but now we can actually move that value across the globe through the internet when we never could before. So it just opens the door to so much more collaboration and coordination where we couldn't before. I'm going to pause there because we're getting close to time and I'm going to ask Laura to think on her toes here and try and re-articulate some of the ideas or concepts. Do your best to sort of summarize some of the things you've heard and see if you can consolidate them. Okay, now you're really challenging me. Okay, so I do have notes I'm going to cheat with a little bit. But essentially, we're looking at this idea of no central server, no one person or group entity ownership of data management or control. It's sort of in the atmosphere for free public sort of consumption or use, access. Um, There's a transparency in that. There's an ability to build trust as a result of that in operations and how organizations or groups function. What I like about what you just said, Steve, is this idea for human coordination and an equitable transfer of value. Um, Those pieces stand out for me. I think, Laura, one thing that might help... So that was a beautiful, by the way, summary. Um, One thing that might help solidify everything that you just said is um, an example. So for example, right now, there is like a whole crew of people all over the world, including the World Bank and UNESCO, that are working on putting credentials like your transcripts and your high school and college credentials and any sort of like, you know, credential you get, certificate, whatever, when you take a course onto blockchain. Now, what that means is that if you ever want to get your transcript, you never have to call your college again because it actually belongs in a wallet that you own. So if you want to share it with your employer, you want to share it with the next institution, you can. Same thing is happening with medical records. So the headache of having to call your insurance company to get, or even your doctor, to get your medical records is by far the most excruciating thing that I can name on this planet. And to put them on blockchain where you own every single x-ray that has ever happened, you own every single doctor's report that you've ever had in a personalized sort of like wallet so that you can look at them anytime, you can share them with, with whatever provider you want. That's the sort of magic and the example of how blockchain can change the way that we own data. I'm going to ask Vridi to share what Laura and our listeners can do to start getting involved. So what, you know, someone who's really new to this, who hasn't really had any involvement, what would you recommend is the first thing they do to try this stuff out? Well, there's a lot of different ways to approach this. One is you should start reading about this stuff. You should do your research and just start learning it. Uh, One of the best resources is a newsletter that we've put together. It's a free newsletter. And I literally put this together because I was doing my own research and I was putting all this information into my own documents. And I was like, oh, I guess I should just share this with everybody. And so um, it's uh, you can find it on ed3metaverse.substack.com. 
And uh, basically this newsletter, every issue is a deep dive into a different concept in Web3. So there is an issue on DAOs. There is an issue on metaverses. There is an issue on social good in Web3. There is an issue on non-fungible tokens. There is an issue on every single topic. And if you go through all of the content in one issue, by the end of it, let's say you take a month to sort of go through that content, it's almost like a course, um, you will know like more than most people about that topic. And everything's super relevant and it's all contextualized for education. So I would start there. If you're a little bit more advanced and you're looking to connect with other educators and want to learn more from peers, then you should hop over to our community. Uh, it's ed3dao.com. And uh, that's a great place for um, people when they they meet each other. We have a lot of events. We have a lot of networking events. A lot of people who don't know anything about Web3 show up. A lot of people who know a lot about Web3 show up. And we just sort of like talk about things. And then the last thing is if you are interested in just sort of like being a lurker and trying to sort of like see what's going on in the sort of industry, Twitter is an awesome place for learning about Web3. Unfortunately, Twitter has gone a bit downhill um, in the last few months for reasons we all know. But um, there's still a pretty strong Web3 community out there. And if you follow a few people that are sort of prominent in the Web3 space, then you'll learn so much. So so that's what I would say. That's awesome. I'll make sure to put those links in the show notes so that everybody can access those. And then Laura, did you want to share um, any information about your project in terms of how people could um, get involved? If there are any students out there or individuals that are interested in your project, they want to reach out to you, how would they do that? Yeah, we're still in such early seed stages. I'd say they could um, reach out to me directly. So you're welcome to share my contact information. Okay, perfect. I'll have that in the show notes as well. Would either of you like to add anything before we wrap up? I know that we're coming up to our time here, but any any last thoughts? Yeah, just uh, two last thoughts. One is, Laura, what you're doing sounds really incredible. And I think more people should think about how education can be democratized. And starting in Web3 or not, I think that's just an important thing that we should move forward on. Um, the second thing is um, we actually started a new project um, with K20 Educators, the original company that incubated at 3DAO. We actually build metaverse spaces for social learning. And again, the premise is very similar to what Ed3DAO does, which is we want to connect people from all over the world and we want them to engage in social learning, not just isolated learning. And so um, we build metaverse worlds and um happy to sort of like support anybody through that journey. So we're at k20educators.com. And yeah. Amazing. I'll make sure to connect you two for sure as well. It sounds like there's some synergy and some possible areas where Laura could learn from your experience and maybe even uh, your new uh, your new business. Thank you so much, Steve. Very nice to meet you, Riti, and I look forward to staying in touch. Same. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. GM Noob, and thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the ride. You can support this podcast by telling your friends, subscribing, and liking every episode. This will help us tremendously. Everything you've heard is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing we've said is financial advice. Please remember NYK NYC, not your keys, not your crypto. Be safe out there.